By now, we have probably all watched the TV program Antiques Roadshow. It's been on a long time. It's been on many years. And as you know, the show travels around to cities where antique owners, they bring items for appraisal by experts, family heirlooms, items of interests, the, the big, the small, the flat-out weird. <laughs> and sometimes the value of, of items can be very surprising. We have seen antique owners elated with what they are told, with what they are shown, and then we've seen some antique owners become <laughs> depressed, uh, beyond despair, despondent, and disappointed when things don't meet up to their expectations. How do we determine the value of what we have? When we were kids and we were trading baseball cards or comic books, uh, maybe when we were learning how to play card games and Dad would say, hey, you need to know the value of the cards in your hand. Or board games, why, why it's important to to buy the property of Park Place and not Illinois Avenue. <laughs> you know, it's important to know the value, to understand the value of what you have. And this morning as we begin to look at First Peter, uh, my hope and my prayer is that we begin again to see the value of just what we have in Jesus. The value, the value of this inheritance. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he writes, To those who reside as strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. This is the greeting to the letter, the heading of the letter, the greeting. And, and Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus. And, a, and an apostle, it's a unique title. It's designated for one who has been an eyewitness to the Lord. And then Peter says, to all those who reside as strangers. What does he mean by strangers? Well, first, at first, it's these Jewish Christians in this first century who are scattered, they're dispersed from Rome. And it's written to these early Christians in, who were scattered to all parts of the East. And, and Peter names five areas, uh, one of, of which we've heard, Asia. And the whole of these five regions makes up that, that area which we learned in school, Asia Minor, that we see on the globe, Asia Minor. And, and this is the point. When I was small... I seldom heard the name of my hometown in the weather forecast on the regional nightly news. A lot has changed in 30 years, but back in the day, they never, ever mentioned my hometown on the weather. I would hear adjoining towns, adjoining counties, but I never, ever heard my hometown. But when my hometown was name-checked, when the weatherman would mention, mention the name of my hometown, I didn't feel forgotten. And likewise, when Peter name-checks these areas, the Christ followers in those regions, they feel as one with the others. It's a rallying effect. And as these letters would circulate among the churches, 
the message becomes one for the entire body of Christ, not just for that region. That region. And, and it's not just a message for the church in those days, but it's a letter to the church in 2021 and beyond. But this is something else. When we hear the word strangers, this is something else. The Apostle Paul, and Paul was an apostle because he saw Jesus when he was on the road to Damascus. The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We live here, but this is not our home. We live here, but this is not our home. We have a foothold in in two kingdoms, an earthly kingdom, but our home is in the heavenly kingdom. If we have trusted in what Jesus has done, we live here, but this is not our home. And, And I think that that's something that we need to always have in our rearview mirror, especially in these days. Peter says, for those strangers chosen in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Boy, there's just a lot here in the greeting. Oh my goodness. But listen, this foreknowledge of God the Father, I mean, God the Father and everything He he knows, what, what He's always known, you know, the fact that God is never surprised. And the sanctifying work of the Spirit, God the Spirit, and God His, His saving work through the Spirit. And, and to sanctify, that means to, to set aside, to save. And, and when, when Peter writes this, he's talking about, he's pointing to the process of salvation, the process. And this is what I mean. Uh, Paul refers to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul says this. He asks some questions to the church at Corinth. He says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then Paul goes down a list. He says, Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor those habitually drunk, nor verbal abusers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says this, Such were some of you, This church, to whom Paul is writing, is made up of lives who followed in those paths. And Paul says, such were some of you, and this is what he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. It's it's a process. At the point when you trusted in what Jesus had done for you at the point when I began to understand this, but when we sing the hymn at the cross where I first saw the light. At that point, I was 13 when, when, when the Lord showed me the burden of my sin. And at that point, when you trusted in what Jesus had done for you on the cross, you were saved. You were saved. Amen. Also, we are being saved. We are being saved as our faith in Christ grows during our challenges, our tests, our sufferings. 
In this life, we are being saved. And, and Paul, in Philippians 3 verse 10, he says this, talking of Jesus, he said, "...that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings." Nobody likes to suffer, but this is what Paul is saying, "...that I would know Jesus and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death." If somehow I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already grasped it all or have already become perfect. Paul is saying I haven't. But Paul says this, I press on. Amen. If I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. You are being saved as you press on through your trials, your sufferings, your hardships, as you trust in what Jesus has done for you, what He did for you on the cross, you are being saved. And here's what else. On the day of His glorious coming, we will be saved. It's a process. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, If indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time mm, are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever I'm dealing with now, if we press hold, we press on, and, and we think of the glory which awaits us, we are going to be saved. And it's this process. In verse 2, boy, there's a lot here. In verse 2, Peter mentions to obey Jesus Christ and to be sprinkled with His blood. We've looked at this sanctifying of the Spirit. And now he mentions to obey Jesus and to be sprinkled with His blood. God the Son, the blood. Uh, why does Peter use this word sprinkling? Well, we see in the book of Hebrews... That, that almost all things are cleansed with blood, according to the law. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. Jesus did not come to abolish the law. Jesus came, as we saw in Matthew over many, many, many months, Jesus came to fulfill the law. And there has to be, there has to be shedding of blood to, to atone for sin. There's no forgiveness. And, and Jesus' blood was shed for us. But then there's another word which Peter uses to obey Jesus. Obey, obedience, submitting to Jesus. The Lord part of Savior and Lord. Jesus we see as Savior and Lord. As believers, we daily live with the challenge of the Lordship of Jesus. We all do it. We all, we all deal with that challenge. We can handle the Savior. We can handle being saved and being forgiven. But so often we have a hard time with being obedient, to submit our will to, to, to Jesus. But this idea of Savior and Lord, you, as, the old, as the old Frank Sinatra song goes, you can't have one without the other. You've got to have both. You've got to have, if he's going to be Savior, he's got to be Lord. Well, then Peter says this, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. What a gracious blessing given to all those, all of us 
who would hear these words of the Lord. That's a, that's a blessing which Peter gives us this morning. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. And then he offers a blessing to the Lord there in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, conversations that I have when it comes to reassuring someone of things of faith, a lot of those conversations, the best response is Scripture. I mean, and look at what Peter shares. He, I mean, it's, it's all here. According to the mercy of the Father, we have been caused to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of what Jesus has done. Resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Bang! Living hope. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Isn't that good news? Amen it is. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be the God and Father of, of, of our Lord Jesus who according to His great mercy, because of His great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope, a living confidence with the knowledge of God. Do you know that you can be confident in what Jesus has done? We're told to be confident. We have a living hope. <laughs> and this is how He's done it. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's how God has done it. It's because of what Jesus has done. And He's been resurrected. And if our relationship with the Lord is growing, if, our, if it's growing and our faith is deepening, when we look at these, these words of the Lord and we are being discipled through it, and we are growing. If our relationship with the Lord is growing, our faith is deepening, then ours is a hope which is alive. Ours is a living hope. And then Peter says, when we're born again, we obtain an inheritance. Wow. And, and listen to this inheritance. This inheritance is imperishable. It's indestructible, incorruptible, immortal, undecaying. This inheritance is undefiled, it's untainted, it's free from contamination, it's unsoiled, it's pure. This inheritance will not fade away. It's enduring, it's perpetual. Woo! Yes! And this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you and for me. It's reserved in heaven, it's guarded in heaven waiting. Mm. And then Peter says this, that you and I are protected. We're protected. There are defensive and, and offensive means which are already in place, necessary to guard us. And, and it's, it's the dynamic, miraculous power of God through faith. Through faith. Through faith. We're guarded as we trust in what the Lord has done. This living hope, this inheritance from the power of God saves and protects. It's all right here, friends. It's all right. This, listen to this treasure that's here. It's all here. As we are being saved, we are protected and we wait. We wait for the salvation which will be revealed in the last time. 
at the appointed moment. And, and something that I want you to see with this, with this idea of time, the, that, that appointed time, it's not the word time which we associate with lunchtime or, or time for tea or I'm, I'm, it's 3 o'clock, time to have a cup of coffee. It's not, it's not chronological time. But it's a word that means the season, the opportunity, the special occasion. And Peter's talking about the coming of the Son of God, that special appointed time. This is a valuable inheritance, is it not? Yes, it is. Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Hmm. Peter knows something's going on with these folks. So that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which perishes, though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You greatly rejoice in salvation, being saved, that point which you were saved, you are being saved, and what is to come, and you will be saved. Rejoicing in what was, what is, and what will be. And then Peter says, even as though now for a little while, if necessary, for a while various trials have been a part of the mix. And this happens in order for the proving of the genuineness of the authenticity of one's faith. Hmm. Really? Really? So... Trials are supposed to be part of it. Peter says this, One's faith is more precious than gold, which perishes as it's tested by fire. Gold is valuable. <laughs> but gold is finite. Gold will come to an end. Our faith will not. Our faith is tried, it's tested, and on one day, our faith will become sight. As we see the one, and that's capital O, we see the one who has given us redemption and righteousness. And this proving of faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus. At the revelation of Jesus. Who is supposed to get the praise and the glory and the honor in our suffering? Jesus. So a light bulb moment. The light bulb goes off. Whoa. So what we're seeing is that trials, that suffering, this is supposed to be part of it. According to what the Apostle Peter writes, yes, we all have dealt with some measure of trial, haven't we? Friends, it's the proving of your faith and mine. On the way this morning, I saw a church sign that talked about success. And I told my wife, I said, you know, the Bible says more about sacrifice than success. The Bible addresses suffering and sacrifice. 
Now, we can de- if we define success by biblical terms, we see where we, have, we will have victory. Jesus is our victory. Jesus is successful because of He went to the cross and His atonement for us was successful. That is success which you find in the Bible. But Bible, Scripture deals with suffering and sacrifice. And friends, that's where our faith is being proved time and time and time again. We've all said it, and as I stand up here before you this morning, we'll all say it again. Why me, Lord? We identify with that. I want to have on my mind so much when I prepare to ask the question, why me, Lord? I want to remember what Peter is telling me. This is where the Bible, one more way in which the Bible hits real life. We wait on His appearing. Peter says in verse 8, And though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And though you do not see Him now, but you believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Even though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and you rejoice. That's our hope. That's our living hope. We rejoice with joy inexpressible, full-on glory. What does this look like? Well, I'll show you. Peter says, when you rejoice, you obtain the outcome, the goal of your faith. The salvation of your soul is the outcome of your faith. That's, that's the salvation's the goal. Faith gauges our joy. And joy gauges our faith. If we are living with this active faith, this living hope in what Jesus did for us and is doing for us and what he will do for us on the day of his appearing, we ought to worship with absolute unbridled joy. Our faith gauges our joy and our joy gauges our faith and it will impact how we worship the Lord. It should. Peter says in verse 10, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries. And these prophets, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he was predicting the sufferings of Christ, there that is again, and the glories to follow. The the salvation of the soul. These prophets are making searches. They're making inquiries. These, These prophets, they're seeking to know what person or time the Spirit, the Holy Spirit within them is indicating the Spirit-predicted prophecies of grace. The contents of these prophecies of grace, we perk up when we hear the word prophecy, the contents of these prophecies, it's not about your best life now or success. What is it about? The sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. These are the prophecies of grace that would come to you and would come to me. And then Peter says in verse 12, it's revealed to these prophets. 
that they're not serving themselves, but they're serving you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who've preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. This, this heaven-born, spirit-born, spirit-infused gospel which has been preached to, 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 to us from these Old Testament prophets to these prophets, these priests, these preachers who are contemporaries of Peter all throughout that area. The, the words of the Lord given to these, to these persons who've, who've written Scripture. These are prophecies of grace that are announced to us through His Word. And, and it's by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then it says here, things into which angels long to look. Look at verse 12. It's revealed by the Holy Spirit. These prophets are serving the kingdom. They're serving you and me. And we are served by all who've preached the gospel. And when we preach the gospel, we are doing a spirit-filled work. When we speak the gospel, when we pray the gospel, when we sing the gospel, when we encourage one another on the phone with the things of God, we are doing a spirit-filled work. You are doing the work of God when you encourage one another with the things of God when you're on the phone. When you send a text or an email. This, this, this verse, the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. There's a unique relationship between the gospel, the living word of God, and the heaven-born spirit. And I think it's seen best in one scripture. Well, throughout the Bible, but one scripture comes to mind. I want you to write this down. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. These words are alive. They are alive. The value of these things, the value of this inheritance, woo! we forget what we hold in our hands. We forget the value. Look there at the end of verse 12. These are things into which angels long to look. Well, when you bring angels into something, it's going to kick everything up a notch, as we've seen. Anytime angels enter the picture, something's going to happen. One, one commentator wrote this. We are in a better position to understand the mysteries of redemption, not only than prophets, but also than angels. Well, I will, and I'll tell you why. We live on this side of the cross. But what this writer is saying, we're in a better position to understand these mysteries than the prophets, both the prophets and the angels. And the, and the angels, they covet to stoop from their own point of view to ours. And why so? And, and, and this commentator says this. Because they are incapable of fully understanding human nature. You know, angels are not glorified humans. Angels are angels. You know, we don't, when we die, we don't get a halo on angel wings. We don't become angels. That's not biblical. 
It, it, it plays well on Hollywood screen, but it's not, it's not, it's not biblical. Angels are, are made different. They're, they're different beings, okay? And, and they're incapable of fully understanding human nature. Flesh and blood, with its temptations and its pains, its sufferings, and its need for a Savior. Listen to that inheritance. I mean, look at how the angels themselves value the inheritance of our living hope and our strong, sure salvation. I mean, look at that. And, and then consider how many of us take this for granted. We take it for granted, this, this inheritance. And, and I'm, I'm asking us as we begin this journey in, in this letter of 1 Peter to treat our inheritance with the value like the angels would say. To, to know the value of what we hold in our hand. This last verse regarding the, the angels and their longing to look. The word for look also reads as to stoop in and peer into. And it's interesting. This verb only shows up a couple times in Scripture. But I, wanna, I want you to see something that I think is very, very significant. It was the first day of the week. It was early dawn and the women came to the tomb and they're bringing spices which they've prepared. And they find the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they enter, they don't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they are perplexed by this. And all of a sudden, two men suddenly stand near them in gleaming clothing. The women are terrified. They bow their faces to the ground and the men say to the women, Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. The women, they return from the tomb and they report all these things to the eleven disciples and 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 the rest who were there in this location. And the women are not believed... They don't believe what the women are saying. Luke tells us in chapter 24, verse 12, that nevertheless, Peter, he gets up and he runs to the tomb. He gets there and he stoops And he looks in. And he sees the linen wrappings only. And he goes away to his home, marveling at what had happened. Peter stooped and looked into, and he marveled. Just as the angels stoop and look into our inheritance of salvation and they marvel. 
On that morning at the tomb, Peter did not understand in full. (laughs) He didn't understand in full then, just as we don't now. But do we know the value of what we've been offered in salvation? Jesus, the sinless Son of God, would be offered as a sacrifice for all the sins of all the people. Jesus offered for our salvation. Why? We're all sinners. And the Lord has to be allowed to deal with sin. Your sin and my sin. A question I ask every week, do you feel conviction about your sin? Jesus, taking our sins to the cross, gave us His righteousness. When He suffered on the cross, He has given us His righteousness, and this righteousness is required for us to stand before a holy God. We need the righteousness of the Lord because we're all sinners. And the price, the wage of our sin is death. And it can only be paid by the shedding of blood. As we saw earlier... But friends, a reminder of the good news that the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, by dying on the cross, He has paid in full the price of the wages of our sin. God has shown us His great love by sending Jesus to die for us while we are still sinners. (laughs) While we were still in our sin, God has shown His love for us by giving Jesus. Mm. And if we confess our sin, our need for Him, if we trust in that, and we have the belief, we have the faith that Jesus has accomplished this in full... We're able to have a relationship of peace with God. And friends, it's because of what Jesus has done, His sufferings and His resurrection, that we're able to hold fast through our living hope with what He has done when the hard times come now to lay hold of the promise which He's given us in His resurrection. Mm. Thanks be to God for this inheritance.